It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. Jesus is doing astonishing things in the world, and I'm so glad we get to share the amazing works of Jesus in the world. The Jesus Film Project is a media ministry whose passion is to bring the gospel to every person in the world in their own heart language. Their primary tool since 1979 has been the feature-length film, The Jesus Film, based on the Gospel of Luke. It's now been translated into, get this, 2,100 languages of the world. Josh Newell, the executive director of the Jesus Film Project, has God so loved the world beating in his chest. Before becoming the head of the Jesus Film Project, Josh and his bride Holly served in North Africa, the Middle East, and Central Asia, bringing the gospel to Muslim people groups through the Jesus Film. And the power of the Jesus Film is what Jesus does through it. Josh, tell us one of those stories. Blow us away with one of the things Jesus has done through the Jesus film. In the Middle East in particular, visions are ways that the Lord is communicating to in creating breakthroughs. And we served in that part of the world. And most of the people that we had talked to and from Afghanistan or from Pakistan have had visions. All the believers had had visions. In fact, some of them have said, haven't you ever seen the Lord? <laughs> And I'd always say, no, I I would really like to. And then they quickly say, well, it's better because faith is the evidence of things unseen. So they encouraged me with that. But I would really like to have a vision myself. One of the ways that Jesus appears supernaturally is through dreams. And and this is a this is a story like that in, in Cairo, Egypt, just off of the main square there, where millions of people come through on a on a weekly basis there's a there's a famous chicken shop and people stand in line for quite a while to get their chicken and right next to it is a bookshop that was started by the bible society years ago and still has permission to operate there even though it's in the middle of the of the city center and the owner of the bookshop has put a television screen about a 65 inch television screen on the window of his shop and place a Jesus film 24 mm. seven. And one man uh, whose name is Medhat would come and stand in line for chicken and then inch his way slowly towards the bookshop. And he would sit down in a chair and, and watch it. And then he would poke his head in after the film was finished and ask for it to play again. And Medhat wasn't doing very well. He clearly had some physical ailments and looked like he was homeless, very disheveled. And the bookshop owner had compassion on him and would try to engage with him, but he would always stay outside of the outside of the shop. And then one day, Medhat never returned, didn't come back until six months later. Medhat came back in his right mind. He was clothed, and the bookshop owner said, "Well, what happened?" He said, "Well, after I watched this movie about Jesus, I went to the mosque to pray the next day, and I have had a." a bad foot for years. And so I limped into the mosque to pray. And as we were giving prayers, I saw in front of me a man in white robes. And I looked, and the more I looked, the more I realized that he was Jesus. He wasn't the exact same as in your movie. He was much more handsome <laughs> than the Jesus <laughs> that was in your movie. But I recognized that he was Jesus. And I pointed 
at him and shouted, there's Jesus. And everyone looked at me, but no one could see him. But Jesus looked at me. And as I looked at him and him and at me, we locked eyes and out of his eyes shot fire. And that fire went into my eyes and then down into my body and eventually wrapped its way around my leg and my foot and shot out of my foot. And at that moment, I was healed. I could walk. And I started to proclaim that Jesus had healed me, but no one believed me because they thought I was crazy. And and so, nothing happened after that until a few weeks later, they realized that I had been healed and I was in my right mind. And eventually they asked, what happened? So I told them the whole story. And so they said, well, where can we find out about this Jesus? And I told them about your shop. So I came here to tell you to be ready for all the people that are going to be coming to find out about Jesus and watch it on your television screen. And did they come? And they came. Yeah. And Matt Hat's story is, is radical. And that is one of the ways that I think the Lord is creating breakthroughs in that part of the world. Wow. The vision of the Jesus Film Project is to bring the Jesus Film to all the languages of the world in the next 10 years. That's incredible. And I want to encourage you to download the free Jesus Film app. It's a massive video library translated into 2,000 languages to help you share the gospel. There's the full-length Jesus Film. There's clips of the Jesus Film. You know, obviously you can share it in English, but if you happen to be talking to someone who's from another country and their heart language is another country, you can share a clip in that language. So it's the Jesus Film app. Download it free at your app store. I'd just love to hear a little bit about you. You know, what was it like for you growing up and how did you discover Jesus and the gospel for yourself? Uh, wow. Well, thanks, Perry. It's great to be with you and have such a deep appreciation for Moody, Moody Radio. And I grew up in a uh, a wonderful Christian home, fourth generation believer at this point. My great-grandfather helped start churches and pass on the faith to his son and his son. And, uh, and then eventually to me, I grew up in a small church in Indiana. I can't remember a day of the week that we weren't there. I put my faith in the Lord at age nine at a vacation Bible school. And it took a while after that to really understand what it means to live it out and went through several ups and downs through the teenage years and then into college. And fortunately, the the Holy Spirit and the Lord never depart us. And it was my senior year in college when things kind of fell into place spiritually and mm-hmm. it changed the trajectory of my life. I had a plan for my life that didn't involve missionary work at all, and then had a pretty radical encounter with the Lord over the summer and rededicated my life and said, I'll do anything and go anywhere and and say anything that you want me to, Lord. And that led to the place where I joined Campus Crusade for Christ staff right after college. I can identify with the teenage years. You know, I was was a Christ follower. I know that Jesus lived in me, but I didn't know how to follow him. I didn't have any strength. I failed all the time. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about my teenage years and following Jesus is that I thought, you know, all the young adults, all the older adults who were following Jesus, they didn't have any problems. They didn't tell me about their problems. They didn't say that there's struggle and there's temptation and there's difficulty in following Jesus and that it's really hard. 
I felt like there was just this huge chasm between what a Christian should be and where I was at. And I wish somebody would have just said, man, I'm struggling with sexual temptation. I mean, that would have been huge for me. Yeah, similar stories, Perry. I thought because it wasn't easy, then it must not be relevant or particularly true. Hmm. And it took a while for that the the truth really to bear that type of fruit that's long-lasting in, in my own life. And then once I started to experience that, I think is when things became easier for me to talk about that with other people. Take me to that encounter your senior year of college. Yeah, I was uh, I was doing a, an internship out in Washington D.C. Met my future, who would become my future wife out there, and we were hanging out a lot that summer. So I was interested in her. She uh, was working on Capitol Hill, living out her faith, uh, leading Bible studies. I was hiding my faith <laughs> as best as I could for years, and so it was wild to see somebody who was leading that integrated of a life. And I thought, okay. It can be done. If it can be done here in Washington, D.C., then it can be done anywhere. And so that began a journey, but it was it was really like a, a huge aha moment. My wife, Holly, she's a staff kid of Campus Crusade for Christ, so she learned about the transferable concepts and the four laws at that time and shared them with me as if I had never heard them before. And I just kind of played along, but really I was hearing the gospel in a, in a way that that mattered and that broke through in what felt like for the very first time, even though I'd grown up in the church and understood these truths. What was the one truth that just really gripped your heart that she shared with you? It was seeing her life played out and matching that with truth. So the head knowledge became experiential and real and it became relevant. But mainly I, I thought, you know, Jesus really he keeps his promise. He never leaves or forsakes us. And even though I've been running or hiding for years, I always felt his presence near me and it was uncomfortable. <laughs> or I always had an inkling that what he was communicating is true. And, and I was just stuffing that reality away. And I think as she was sharing very simply about God has a wonderful plan for our life. That was eye-opening, ear-opening. And then it just kind of led to putting some of the other things in place. We know when we're falling short and we hide. Mm-hmm. And, but then to hear of grace, to hear of God's goodness, that God is for us, even though he has a lot of reasons to be against us, he's for us. When that hits your heart, man, mm-hmm. all bets are off. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. He, Jesus never gets intimidated by our doubt or our falling short. And it's the free gift of God. And so that grace is so overwhelming. Tell us one of the amazing, I mean, there are thousands of stories. Tell us one of them. This is a story out of the Democratic Republic of Congo, the DRC. It's, you know, it's a nation in turmoil and in part of the country, kidnappings are pretty frequent. And a farmer, whose name is Adrian, was out in the field minding his own business when a gang of kidnappers came, took him and 12 other men hostage and took them into an unknown area or territory and put them in a small little cement house for a period of a week. And they knew that their families were not able to pay the ransom. They knew that 
what likely would happen is that they would be executed because they wouldn't, weren't able to pay the ransom. And so as the days wound down, that reality became more closer to the door until it finally happened one night the when the kidnappers came in and said, if we don't hear back from your families and the ransom isn't paid, then tomorrow at sunup, we're going to execute you. And so, of course, they prayed and they were scared, um, but didn't really have much hope. And that night, as the sun was going down, they they heard off in the distance what sounded like a a bunch of noise, but they realized it was the movie, the Jesus film, and they heard it in their own language. And what was going on is that a film team, a group of people, had decided very strategically and independently to go to different villages in that territory and show set up the Jesus film in the middle of the town square. And that night was when they had decided to go into that particular territory. And they had no idea. The film team had no idea that just 100 yards away, these 13 men were held hostage. And the kidnappers were in attendance that night. And something happened in their hearts because as soon as the movie was done and the lights went down and the film team packed up, the lead kidnapper came back in and said, we know that we've done wrong and we need to let you free. And so they blindfolded them and let them out of the door and they made it back to their families. But it was the intervention of, of Jesus through that Jesus film showing quite seemingly randomly <laughs> that saved these men's lives and, and saved the eternal lives of the kidnappers. You know, so I'm really familiar with the Jesus film. A lot of people listening right now are familiar with the Jesus film, but, but someone listening right now doesn't have any idea what the Jesus film is all about. Just give us a brief flyover of this phenomenon, the Jesus film. The Jesus film was created and launched in 1979 and launched. I mean, it was a movie release here in the United States telling a two-hour story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. And it was in a format I would call docudrama, just the facts, man, type of experience, but powerful because it was the Word of God on film. The Jesus film began to be translated into different languages. And starting in the Philippines with Tagalog and then into Arabic and then branching out into even more languages. And the strategy that Campus Crusade for Christ, who helped produce the movie, it was released by Warner Brothers, but Campus Crusade released it around the world. We used film projectors to go out into rural areas and show it. So take the movie theater experience to places that didn't have movie theaters and introduce them to the story of Jesus. And that began a movement. That's lasted for 40 plus years now, since 1979, of people, not just Campus Crusade staff members, but missionaries all over the world have used this simple movie taken from the Gospel of Luke, available in heart languages, now 2,100, in simply lifting up Jesus. And when you do that, no matter where you are, what language you speak, when you encounter Jesus, your life changes. And sometimes entire villages or or cultures change as well. The Jesus film, God has used it so powerfully. There's miracles, there's dreams, there's visions, there's healings. It's Book of Acts kind of stuff. And this is a very simply produced film. How do you account for the powerful things that God has done through this film when it's just, it's such a simple production? 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I think you hit on the paradox, right? It's it's such a simple production and it, it's really old. When I first heard about it, I was 22. And at that point, the movie had been around for over 20 years. And, and I thought, how in the world? I had that same question. How in the world can God use such an old movie told so simply using British actors? <laughs> It just didn't fit with any of the the movie experiences that I had up to this point or what I expected for a breakthrough missionary revolutionary tool. And so how do you account for that? It's simply the Lord's favor. He's chosen for whatever reason to bless this tool. And as we look backwards, we can see, oh yeah, his hand is is on every aspect of it. The story from the gospel of Luke, that choice to transcribe that to screen was really powerful because Luke is written for the everyman and you know the stories that are there are, are helpful to people who have never heard about Jesus that choice and then putting it into heart languages getting in, into you know the very fiber of your being the word of god permeates your heart and it gets in there. And Paul Eschman, who founded the Jesus Film Project several years ago, said that the Word of God gets into your heart and does a work. And I love that just kind of like gritty description of, of what happens. And you can only attribute that to a work of the Holy Spirit and people who faithfully trust the Lord to see Him work in powerful ways. Every word is from the Gospel of Luke, right? Every word that we like to say it's based on the gospel of Luke because there's narration that's happening to kind of like tell people what's happening in the next scene or whatever. But every word that Jesus speaks is is from the gospel. It's okay. from scripture. Okay. So there is some narration that breaks up Jesus' yep. words. Yep. So using Jesus' words and then the heart language, translating it into languages that we learned when we were babies being held in our mother's arms, hearing our own language for the first time, you know, that's what you're trying to do. And so Jesus becomes one of us. He speaks my language. Yeah. It's a, it's an incarnational moment when you hear the word of God or, or watch it unfold on screen. Jesus is communicating and our hearts are, are receiving it. Proof of the Jesus film is in the stories that come out of the Jesus film, what Jesus does through the film. One that I just heard about recently was of a young Vietnamese woman who started to ask questions just in her own mind about who is God? Who's this Jesus person? And she typed in to Google, who is Jesus? And so she's literally searching for God on a Google search. And what comes up when you type in who is Jesus is the Jesus film. And so she realized that it was in her heart language. So she clicked on it and watched it on YouTube. And essentially, as she's watching it, she said there was a sweetness that entered her spirit. And she didn't understand what it was, but she realized that what she was watching about this person was true in this movie. It was in her heart language and she understood the truth. And then she began to ask other questions online about how do I get connected to other people who follow Jesus? And, and eventually she was led through a process of discipleship, but she goes back to that initial search term, who is Jesus? And finding her language 
on YouTube. And the only reason we know about that is because she posted about it on TikTok. It wasn't a strategy that Jesus film used to get to her. It was simply the Holy Spirit working, the availability and accessibility of heart language and her digital savvy putting it all together. And I think that's really fun how the Lord brings people to himself. So you have your 2100th translation, congratulations. And it's for the Wairani people. Now, tell the story first, before we get to the 2100th translation for the Wairani, tell us the story of the Wairani. Oh, yeah, I'm sure many of your listeners know the story better than I, but I think when I hear about the country of Ecuador, my mind goes immediately back to the five martyrs, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Peter Fleming, and Roger Udurian. And so our story kind of goes back to the mid-50s, uh, 1956, when these five missionaries and their families were praying to reach the Wairani tribe in Ecuador. And no one knew really how to to go and, and tell them about Jesus. And so the strategy at the time was Nate Saint had a, a plane and they would fly over and he developed a speaker system to shout greetings to them to let them know that, hey, they're friendly and and wanted to start to establish communication. And, and years later, they discovered, of course, the language that they were trying to communicate from that plane was not understood. But that didn't stop them. And, and they kept trying and praying and to be able to make contact and eventually establish a base there. And so, eventually, the time came when they when they flew in and established a little camp on a sandy strip outside of the Wairani tribe. And everybody was praying for that. The five men went in and Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, wrote in her journal that just thanking the Lord that he had given all the men safety to get there and given Jim the desires of his heart. And they communicated and said, hey, this is this is going well. And then all of a sudden communication stopped. And for five days, the outside world held their breath waiting to hear about the fates of the five and U.S. servicemen had to go in, on a search. And eventually the, they discovered the five men had been speared to death by the Wairani tribe and the world was shocked. Yeah. And I was talking to my dad, who was a little boy at the time in New Jersey, hearing about the fate of, of the five as they're now known. And just questioning what in the world that was all about. And I think that was the question that eventually launched and inspired generations of missions, because the question was, what will it take to reach the Wairani tribe? And not only them, but other unreached tribes. I know that Elizabeth Elliot went in there with some others and eventually planted the gospel among them, translated the language and the gospel started to spread. So that was in the 50s. And now here we are in 2023, and you have the Jesus film in the Wairani language. There's 3,000 of them, 3,000 plus. I would think that all yeah. of them are believers. Why translate the Jesus film into their language? Yeah, you would think with the, the national and global attention on this small tribe over the course of 70 years would you know, result in that spiritual 
movement that you just described. Everybody should know about Jesus and follow him. But the reality is that 20% follow Jesus of those 3,000. You would think that that story would carry on, but many are forgetting. And so it's important now to bring the story of Jesus on, you know, on film. And there's still a great amount of illiteracy for older generations. Younger generations have helped us produce this movie. And so that's been really fun because they have a heart to take the gospel back to their tribes. The story started with the five martyrs and then the gospel coming to the tribe, but not fully spreading through the tribe. What might God want to do with this 2100th translation to bring people to Jesus, but also then to catapult Wairani believers to the nations? Oh man, what a thought. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what's happening now. The the, the Wairani tribe's younger generation has caught the vision. Mm. And they not only want to take it to mm. their own people, but to other Amazonian tribes as well. There's 2,100 languages that the Jesus film has been translated into. How many more languages of the world are there? Well, some estimates are 7,000, and we work very closely with the Bible translation community. And we're on this on a similar mission as they are to translate the Word of God into every needed language. And so it could be as many as 7,000, or it could be a number lower than that. But our mission is to provide the, the Jesus film into the heart language and as, for as many people as possible. How long do you think that will take? Technology is changing, you know, yes. the translation speeding up. What do you think? What's your what's your gut feeling about when we can get the Jesus film into all the languages of the world? That would be amazing, but you know, my vision is to see that happen in the next 10 years. Wow. Yeah, I think the technology is, you know, with artificial intelligence, there's incredible breakthroughs that's happening in the in the Bible translation community, as I said. And and so technology is rapidly advancing. But I think what is also happening is that the church everywhere is empowered to do the work of the church. It's no longer from the West to the rest. It's it's the church. There's missionaries that are being raised up to do the work. And we're putting all of our resources out there for free so that anybody who can faithfully translate the Word of God can do the Jesus film. And it no longer takes as much time or as much money as it has in the past. And so I see that rapidly accelerating. It took about 35 years for the first thousand languages to be done. And in the last 10, we've seen the next thousand. Thanks for letting Barry and Shauna walk the real life journey with you. The content from the Perry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Perry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.